Hello, and welcome to the Flip Flops Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here today. My guest is such an incredible woman. She's been an inspiration to me for years, and I'm so honored to have her on the fourth episode of the Flip Flops Podcast. This woman lives in Brooklyn. She is happily single. Her name is Shaney Silver. She has been the online editor for Domino Magazine. She also edited their second book. She is a freelance humor essayist. Her most recent series was on Refinery29, where she reframes singlehood. She then started an incredible podcast called A Single Serving, where she has garnered an international audience. And she is the editor of Medium's Add a Girl. This woman is honest, funny, brave. And like I said, she's a huge inspiration to me and she's been incredibly generous. She joined me on the Cozy Sweater Cafe and now she's here today with us. We have such an amazing conversation. Here she is, Shaney Silver. So how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I couldn't be more excited to speak to you. I had the... (laughs) I had the fortunate accident of listening to your podcast, A Good Cry, this morning, and had a good cry this morning (laughs) (laughs) after that incredible episode. So thank you for that. (laughs) It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Um, So yeah, I wanted to invite you for so many reasons. First of all, you know, we're all in isolation. So I'm just like, I want to hear news from abroad. So how is life (laughs) in Brooklyn? What does it feel like? What has it been like the past year? Um, It's been really isolated. For sure. It's been a very scary and isolated year. I have, um, you know, everybody seems to be approaching the, the pandemic differently, which is odd and and weird. But for me, I, um, I don't mess around at all. So I've been very distant and very um, just sort of confined <laughs> to my apartment uh, for the last year. And I'm very lucky that I'm able to work from home and, and earn my living just being here. I'm extremely grateful for that. But it has been a really, really lonely time. That has sucked, <laughs> but um, sure, I've been also really healthy and really lucky. So uh, in that respect, I'm 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 very glad. And are you able to get out and about? Are there any restaurants that are open? Um, so things are slowly opening up a little bit. I think we're at fifty percent indoor dining, and there's always been outdoor dining. And I've probably done the outdoor dining thing like twice during the year. I haven't really been into it. It just like for me, going to a restaurant just seems like such a low priority thing during a global pandemic. So I haven't been doing a lot of it. It will be lovely one day when we're all back to normal and I can go sit down at a restaurant and eat something I didn't make for myself. But it hasn't been a huge priority of mine during the pandemic to to go places, really. I think the the stuff that I've done has been like, you know, uh, very, very small gatherings with like my bubble. And that's it. Um, So it's just like me and three of my closest friends that are here. It's slowly opening back up again, which is both positive and a concern. So it's all, it's all just as weird as it's ever been. And I think I'll feel a lot better when we have like, okay, everyone's vaccinated now. There's no more mask mandates. Now you can have a life again, then I'll feel good. But until that happens, I'm I'm still approaching things extremely cautiously. Um, But I think we're doing a great job. We've vaccinated millions of people already and more every day. So I'm hoping that it's not, it's not too far away. So what have you been doing to entertain yourself outside of all the work that you do? Oh my gosh. I know you've done a lot of baking. I just saw you made some beautiful bread. <laughs> that oh, looked delicious. Yeah. 
baking has been been a huge solace to me during the pandemic. Any sort of cooking and baking and challenging myself to do things I've never done before has been really entertaining. I've had like a lot of group Zooms with various groups of friends all over the country that have been, that has been a great solace to me as well to have like specific Zooms together. But after a while, it like you run out of steam for that because it helped in the moment, but now you're like, God, is this moment still here? Like we can't do this anymore. Um, so entertaining myself has been a challenge. I think it, I, it's it's a weird thing. Like it's kind of hard to entertain yourself when you're scared. And I think it's been a really challenging year for a lot of us. Like this is a very scary time. And so um, just sort of like maintaining mental health and self-care have been huge, huge priorities. And how do you do that? How do you maintain your mental health? Are you journaling? Are you going for long walks? Lots of walks. I try to take a walk a day if I can. That's my preferred method. And then also a lot of just like self-forgiveness. Like if I can't do something today, that's fine. If something's not going to get done today or even this week, that has become fine with me in a way that it was never fine before because that's the only way to do it. Like I have to be nice to myself. I have to forgive myself for things because it's the most insane year of my life, of all of our lives. And there's an immense amount of stress and fear and just like longing and grief and so much. So I think the best self-care practice I have is self-forgiveness and just like taking it extremely, extremely easy on myself during this time. Have you found that the combination of fear and creativity has been a challenge? That's a hard one to answer actually, because I'm still writing and podcasting now just as much as I ever did. So I don't know that it's really put a damper on that, but I will say that I'm a lot better at not forcing myself to write when I don't want to. I used to have a really bad habit of like, no, you need to write something every single day of your life. Um, And now I'm a lot more patient and I can go like a full seven days now without writing something. And that's like unheard of before. Yeah. It, it was wow. absolutely unheard of. And now I'm, I'm a lot kinder to myself. And I can be like, if you don't feel like it right now, that's okay. It will come back eventually. And it always does. So that's a, that's a really good question. I don't know if my fear has impacted my writing. My writing tends to be fueled by antagonistic circumstances. So if I get angry at something, I'm going to write really well on whatever the topic happens to be. So I wonder if maybe grief and fear have contributed to my writing in a positive way? That's such a good question. I don't know. Maybe. I just know for myself, I had a really hard time writing because I was just, it's like a the tension and the fear were just making me feel the opposite of what I need to be creative, which is kind of joy and freedom. So I really had to, like you said, give myself a break. Yeah. And I'm sharing this with you because this very difficult time in my life ended up being my aha moment of, I want to make a podcast about this, about being stuck and then getting yourself unstuck. You are someone who has changed jobs very often. Mm -hmm. And I always admire that about you, that if you're unhappy, you leave and you're changing the conversation around singlehood. So, (laughs) so I think you are. I definitely think you are. Have you ever been stuck? And how did you get yourself unstuck? Oh, sure. Stuck a thousand times. Oh, my God. 
a thousand times in the past, probably many times in the future. Um, stuck is a very familiar feeling to me. And I think uh, something very important if you're going to be, you know, talking about things like getting unstuck on a podcast and, and interviewing people about it and having people listen to the discussion about how to get unstuck, people always want like a trick for how do you get unstuck? Like what's the best practice or what's a trick or tip to get unstuck? And it needs to be said far more often that for many of us, the only way to get unstuck is to be forced. The only way that I have really, truly unstuck duck myself from really significant problems was by force. And what I mean by that is most of my career has been a series of getting what looked like an amazing job and then getting into that job and realizing it was just absolutely hell on earth. And that would just happen over and over and over and over. It was a really lengthy cycle, probably all, like almost a decade of that. And the only thing that made me really change it and really like leap into my authentic career, which is I would consider what I'm doing now to be my authentic career, and it will continue to grow and evolve. But like, this is this is certainly the start of it. The only reason any of that started was because I lost the last wrong job I ever got. It was like this, I think it was 2018. I had left one nightmare job and gone into something else thinking that that was going to be the thing that saved me. And that turned out to be an absolute nightmare too. I had to quit that job after eight weeks because it was, it was an abusive situation. It was horrible. And then to like save myself out of that situation, I got this one last job that I thought was like, you know, catching me like some kind of a safety net. And then three months after that, they decided that they had made a mistake in hiring me because they didn't really need me. They needed this other kind of person that they wanted to hire and they couldn't hire him unless they let me go. So I was forced out of the nest. And as soon as I lost a job, I was like, you know what, if you don't become fully freelance right now, you never will. So I did. And it's okay for anybody who's like, I just don't know how to make a change. I don't know how to, you know, stop settling. I don't know how to fix this or whatever. It's okay if you have to be like shoved out of the nest. I, I had to be shoved out of the nest. The good thing is I only had to be shoved out once. Like once I realized that like the bottom could drop out and I would be okay, then you're fine. <laughs> Essentially, you're fine after that. But if anyone's listening and they're looking for like some sort of tip or trick on how to like get unstuck or make that big change, it's okay if you have to be forced to. And I'm hoping that like maybe this will help somebody that feels like they can't move until they're forced um, speed that along a little bit because I've, I've certainly been there. And how long did you think about going free? My whole life, my entire life. Really? I never should have been working for anyone else ever in my career, but I thought I had to. I thought that was the only way that you could be successful is if you were working for a company in an office with health insurance and a salary and, you know, automatic savings for retirement and all those little cozy, safe things were how I was raised. Like you will do all of these things or you will be a failure. The world will end unless you do all of these things. Uh, and it won't. I was just never taught anything different. And it took me a very, very long time into my adulthood to figure out that I can do something different and be happy and be successful. Tell me about the quote from your grandmother about loving your job. Oh, yeah. My great grandmother, um, she used to tell my mom, she used to tell all of her family, you don't like your job? Good. You're not supposed to. That was like the famous quote from my grandmother. And in a way, she was right because your job isn't suppo well, supposed to, what is supposed to, but your time with your family and your time with yourself, your time away from work is supposed to be what you really live for. That's really the good stuff. 
unless you're someone like me who loves work. I love to work. Work is my family. Work is my joy. Like that's the center for me is I feel the best when I'm doing work that I love. So I was just a terrible person to hear that quote at a very young age because um, it kept me stuck for a long time because I kept hearing like that old adage, like, if this sucks, that's okay. It's supposed to. Jobs suck. You can't ever be happy at work. This is just the way it is. And after like many, many years of that, I was like, I can't, I think I was in my early thirties. And I was like, is this really going to be my whole life? Am I really going to hate all day, every day, five days a week? Is that what's really going to happen for God, 70 more years? I can't live like that. And I didn't want to live like that. So I had to do things a little bit unconventionally to find things that were a better fit for me. For some people, working in the office every day brings them joy. Or, you know, just working their eight to 10 hour day and, you know, not having a ton of like upward mobility ambition, just like do the job, get the paycheck, leave work at work, and then really having a thriving life at home with family. That's for them. It's less about doing what's expected of you and doing what society accepts and more about finding the way to live life that, that makes you feel good. In your episode called Woohoo as <laughs> blank, <laughs> you talk about how human design had such a big impact yes. on you. I also am a manifesting mm -hmm. generator and I just reread mine and it actually says that I will work in some kind of audio production. And I cannot believe it says that. I can't believe I never noticed that before because I thought about doing this podcast for years and years. And like I said, I kept stopping myself. Now I just read that this morning. One of the lines in your human design was, you want to bring people along with you. And you said that that really struck you when it came to out a girl. Yeah, out a girl and also singlehood in general. I think anytime I yes. figure something out and it's way better than the way things used to be, and it's something that's widely applicable, like if it's single women hating being single or when it's women in general feeling like they're old when they're in their late 30s or early 40s, anytime something is utter nonsense, and it doesn't have to be the way it is. Once I figure that out, I want to bring people with me because I see too many people uselessly miserable the way that I used to be. And it's just, it's a waste of time and there's just a happier, better way to live. And if I can help other people feel better, I will. What is it about the conversation around singlehood that made you angry and unhappy specifically? And what did you want to change? I want to change everything, but I think I get very angry when I see injustice. I know I get very angry when I see injustice and not from a like sociopolitical or criminal justice kind of stance. And believe me, those things make me angry too. But this one felt unjust because there's an entire generation of women who are getting the worst possible end of things at every turn. And the men they're looking to marry, and I'm of course speaking in a very heterosexual sense right now, the men they're looking to marry are not in their boat at all. And for a decade, I was operating in an online dating space that was an industry selling us lies, essentially. It was like a, a, a generation of single women going on online dating, looking for a husband, and a generation of single men going on online dating, looking to get laid. And there were such competing goals operating in the same space. And all the while, single women were just getting dumped on, just this garbage from the other side of things coming at them. All the while, Bumble and Tinder and everybody is just making piles and piles and piles of money off of the hope of single women without ever really giving single women any concrete resources or support of any kind. 
it was ridiculous to me. And then you look at like the societal opinions of single women versus the societal opinions of single men. They're terrible. Single women are seen as these pathetic, desperate failures and single men are still seen as playboys. So you have the societal double standard on one side. You have the actual experience of trying to find someone on the other side. Both of those things suck terribly and single women are right in the middle and we don't have to be. We can get out of that middle and we can do it without having to find a man first. And when I found that out, I couldn't shut up because it's just too good. <laughs> Leaving that horrible sandwich is so possible and so good. And you just realize how many pieces of nonsense we have been fed about single life our entire lives. There is a genuinely wonderful single life that exists for women. Genuinely wonderful. Not lying to ourselves wonderful. Not good enough for a single girl wonderful. I mean genuinely fantastic. And if that exists, and I know it exists because I live it, so if that exists, more single women need to know about it because we have been getting just trash dumped on top of us for years and years and years, and we don't have to be there. We don't have to do that. So when I see that, and I know that's happening, and I know there's a way to fix it, I see very little use in staying quiet. How do you think this happened, or why do you think it's happened? Does this go back to Eve needed to exist next to Adam? Or do you think it's just a marketing ploy? Why do you think that this is so prevalent and not the same? For there are men? a lot of patriarchal roots to all of it. The way we talk about women, the way we depict women, the way we make jokes about women, the way we view and value women in society. I think that contributes to it a lot, but it's also like the way society values women and treats women for sure. But then we also have to evaluate the way that we think about ourselves and the way that we treat ourselves and the way that we measure our own success or value in the world. There are so many reasons that have contributed to the current dating landscape. Least of all is the internet. I mean, it's still, we don't really think about this very often, but like, like online dating as an institution is still very young when you compare it to all of humanity and how often or how long people were just meeting in real life. Online dating is still a very, very new toy and it never came with instructions. We literally built the wings of the plane while we flew it. And for women my age, we were among the first guinea pigs to ever really get into it. And I think it's going to have very lasting and potentially detrimental effects on us, on our mental health, on our emotional health uh, that nobody ever addresses because they just wanted to create a space where like it was easy for people to come and, and theoretically connect, but that's not actually what's happening and no one cares because they're still paying money on the idea of like a dream that it will work. What do you think is the worst thing about it? Is it just this constant sense of people feeling like there's someone else better along the way it's it, it's so that's what most people think most people think online dating is terrible because there are just so many options i disagree completely i think online dating is terrible because okay. there are no consequences there are absolutely no consequences for the behavior mm -hmm. of anyone in the online dating space if before you took an action in the online dating space either on an app or in real life or via text or whatever if before you could do that you had to make it publicly known what you were doing or saying, people will behave a lot better, but they can do whatever they want in the shadows and in the silence. And if it's just one lewd, terrible message that you're sending to, you know, a woman you don't actually know who doesn't actually know you, what's the harm? No one's going to know, right? It's anonymous. It's just this frivolous place where anyone can do whatever they want to somebody and no one seems to care.
So I care a lot. So you've stopped using them, right? You've removed them from your phone. Yeah, I deleted the dating apps in January of 2019 and I've never downloaded them again. And prior to that, I was on them for about Mm -hmm. 11 years and I would always like delete and Mm re-download, delete and re-download, delete and re-download. They went away permanently Mm -hmm. in January of 2019 because I, I asked myself how they were serving me. I was allowing something into my life every single day and I asked myself for the first time, how is this serving me? How has it ever served me? And it never had because in 11 years of online dating, I had never had one relationship result. I had never had anything good happen in 11 years of the endless swiping. So I was just like, this isn't it. This isn't it for me. I've given it more than a fair test run. (laughs) And honestly, like I don't, I don't care how I meet someone. I don't care if it's spontaneous. I don't care if, you know, it's somebody fixing me up. I don't care if it's a colleague. I really don't care because I just don't focus on it. I'm no longer living in pursuit of another person. And that isn't me swearing off dating. I cannot stand that phrase and I cannot stand when people impose it upon themselves. But I just live. All I do now is I just live my life. And I trust that the people that are supposed to enter my life, friends and lovers alike, will be there. And I don't have this like pressured, you know, dig, 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 must find him, must find him. Like that is no longer my reality because singlehood as something I have to fix is not my reality either. I love it so much. I love also the beautiful letters that you receive from your listeners. I was, I had a lump in my throat when I was listening to the oh my two God, I PhD students. They're, they're who wrote, I, I, I was bawling. Yeah, I was really, really bawling because, you know, as the mother of a daughter, the last thing I want my daughter to be concerned Mm -hmm. with is men. Like the last thing I want her to explore her passions. I want her to know her own strength and her own intelligence. And so when I heard these two women's letter, I think it was one girl, Zuri. Yeah, I'm not Zuri mistaken and, that wrote to you. Zuri and Sally. Was are that friends, her name? And they've both written me independently about each other. And they became friends because of my podcast. And I love them and I want to meet them in real life so bad. So they both wrote to you and said, basically, they've finished their defending their PhD. Um, They were completely focused and changed because of your podcast. I mean, that's really the story. That's it. Like, they have both just, um, they've learned to like celebrate the wins of their lives instead of focusing so intently on the one thing that they don't have. And um, it's just so cute that they have been emailing me about each other to celebrate the other one. It's just, it's so beautiful. And it's so nice to get any email from any listener that tells me that this is making an impact on them. Because I mean, you know this now that you were podcasting, it's a very solitary endeavor. Like it's just you and a microphone and a laptop. And to hear feedback from people is vital to understand, first of all, that you're serving the audience you want to serve. And also just for your own like mental health and reassurance, like, okay, I'm doing something good. I can keep going because it's hard. Making a podcast is hard and it's a lot of work. And for many people, they don't get paid to do it. It's really a wonderful thing to hear that this is making a positive impact on people's lives. Like what, what else can I ask for? I'm helping people feel better all the time. It's just the greatest the greatest thing I can do with my career. How did the Refinery29 series come up? And then how did it go from a series into a podcast so for you? Totally unconnected. I worked for Refinery29 back in 2011. I was their first, was their Chicago. first Chicago editor. And then I stopped working for the company and you know, went about my business for many, many years. 
having a, a variety of different jobs in between. And I was always just sort of a freelance writer on the side because that's the only place I would allow myself to freelance write. And then always stayed in touch with the editor-in-chief of Refinery. She was always a, a mentor of mine and still is. And she used to give me book recommendations all the time. And I would read whatever she told me to read. And there's this one book that she suggested called Better Than Sane by Alison Rose. And there was a line in that book about the little dishes of poison that married people serve to single women without realizing it. And I emailed her and I'm like, listen, this is so real and so true. And I'm so tired of no one ever talking about the reality of single life. I'm tired of people only talking about dating when they talk about single life. Like there's so much more to discuss than just dating. I'm so sick of the assumption being that if you're a single woman, all you must want to talk about is dating. That's nonsense. So she's like, okay, let's do a series and write what you want to write about, about single life. And I did for about two years. And um, about halfway through that, I was just like, I have more work to do. Like I can connect much more directly to an audience. And so I created a single serving podcast on my own and it was never connected to Refinery29. You obviously found a space where you had a voice and you had a lot to say. So I wanted to know how you transferred your voice from writing into a podcast. Um, I, I did it because I was listening to someone else's podcast like a, a, there was this like influencer that I was following on Instagram and she launched a podcast and I started listening to her podcast and I was like, you know what? I could do this <laughs> beyond me. Um, and so I thought about like, what would I, if I did this, how would I do it? And I knew I wanted to talk to other people. I knew I wanted more voices in the space than just my own. So I just did it. Did you feel strange at first talking to yourself? Cause that was my first experience. The first time I sat down to record, it felt strange and very right at the same time. I think time. I was like afraid of pushing the record button for the first six months or so. But again, just hearing the feedback from people and hearing that it's really helping that sort of alleviates the fear, I think. And just always being aware, like, and you should ask yourself this before you, you know, create anything that you want other people to consume, like, why would they listen? Why would they care? And if you can keep that at the forefront of your mind and always make sure that what you're creating has value for someone else, then you'll be fine. And so I was always, before I would ask someone to be a guest or before I would write an interview, I was always like, okay, what are we going to give the listener? Like, what will they have that they did not have before they pushed play? And I've just kept that up. It's been wonderful to just talk to so many different voices in the space. That's the other thing, like singlehood is, a, is something that happens to everyone. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where in the world you live. It doesn't matter what your sexual orientation is. It doesn't matter what your gender orientation or identification is. It doesn't matter. Everyone can be single, literally everyone. And it's this wonderful unifier because we have all experienced the charms of singlehood, uh, no matter what our background is or who we are or what we, you know, what our jobs are, what our personalities are like, it doesn't matter. It's this uniquely unifying thing. And we've all had to make our own decisions about singlehood because the ones that were fed to us were kind of full of nonsense. And it's been really great just sort of like using that as motivation to keep going because it is really hard to start a podcast. and It's even harder to keep it going. So you really have to love what you're doing and you really have to make sure that you're really giving something of value to the listener. What do you look for oh in my a goodness. guest? I want, I look for relevance. I look for them to be doing something relevant for my audience because at the end of the day, if I wanted to record nothing but solo episodes, I could. And that would be fine. I do a couple solo episodes a year, even more now since I switched to Patreon. So I look for relevance. Like what are they doing or talking about or creating that has value and relevance to an audience full of single people? That's really it. And once there's like a morsel of relevance, I want to talk to them 
because I want to talk to everybody. <laughs> I want to talk to every perspective that I can find. I just want to make sure that there is some relevance and value there for my audience specifically. There might be, you know, no relevance for me, but relevance for for another podcast. But I, I have a very um, strong connection to my audience and what uh, is going to resonate with them, what has resonated with them. So I look for you know, what can we give the listener? Do you have a favorite guest or a favorite episode where you were just absolutely blown away by the person or what you learned or just had the best time so having many. a conversation? So, so many. That's like picking a favorite child. Yeah. <laughs> I knew oh it was going to be a tough question. It's almost impossible. I think most recently, last week, I published an episode with Judith Duportai, who was on the Netflix series Connected in the episode about surveillance. And she, she wrote a book about all the data that dating apps save on us. And uh, her experience with finding out what Tinder knew about her sort of shocked her out of the, the singlehood black hole. And so she and I had just the wildest conversation. It was so much fun. So that's recently. And then, I mean, my conversation with Sarah Eckel, the author of 27 Wrong Reasons You're Single, is one of my all-time favorites and my most successful episode ever in terms of downloads. And she is brilliant and her book is phenomenal. Speaking with Bella DiPaolo, who does so much research in, uh, she, she's a social scientist, so she does actual research in the singlehood space. And she knows more about, like, I have emotions and, like, anger. She has data. She's absolutely amazing. I loved speaking with her. I've had Cara Lowenthal on the podcast a couple of times. She's a, she's a friend of mine in real life now. I mean, just so many, so way too many to name. Um, I'm, I'm very, very lucky. I've had a, a ridiculous amount of amazing guests. It's amazing. I feel like creativity is such an incredible way to not only change your life, but to save ourselves and to save other people. And I just... I really get a sense that this is such a huge success for you personally, not just, you know, in your career, but it, it's you. really beautiful it's to really watch. To experience. <laughs> it's it. Yeah. It's really, it's really inspiring. So I just, I just want to congratulate you on what a rich, just incredible podcast you. that you've put together and you're Thank just a creative force. Oh, I have Great. a trick question for you. <laughs> How would you redesign the perfect dating app? Um, I would not design a dating app, I would instead open a bar. I would open a real place with walls and a roof that you would have to go to. I can't even imagine a bar. I can't imagine. Your <laughs> admission like. into, it'll be like a bar and a venue. There'll be like music and stand-up comedy and like all kinds of shit. But your admission into my venue is your cell phone. You are not allowed in with a cell phone. If I catch you with a cell phone in my venue, you can never come back again. The entire <laughs> place will be 90s themed and it will just be a place where human beings will remember how to connect with each other. I really want human beings to meet and connect in a space without phones or technology. I have huge fears that we're losing that. If you don't believe me, the next time you're able to go to like a show or something where they take your phone away and before the show starts, not during the show, because during the show, that's, that's easy. That's cheating. Before the show starts, look at everybody, look at what they're doing and how they're behaving because it's weird. It's super weird and super awkward and no one knows what to do. I went to a wedding where they took away the cell phone and that was really an amazing experience because yes. it forced you to be in the moment and appreciate it and not just get trigger happy and try to exactly. take pictures of everything. Okay, let's do this rapid fire because I know you have to go. What is your favorite oh skin cream? I know you have many, but Anything what's your favorite by a brand right called right Versed. 
V-E-R-S-E-G, Verse. Everything they make is incredible. Look it up. They're amazing. Yeah. Ooh. Candles. Probably Boy Smells. I think those are my favorite these days. Um, PF Candle Co. I think they're based in California and um, I buy every single scent of their incense. It's phenomenal. Favorite podcast? Probably Absolutely Not by Heather McMahon. She's a comedian. She's the funniest human being and her wild, incredibly quirky, funny podcast has really kept me company all year. Favorite TV show? Oh my God, I don't have one and I need one so badly. I really wish they kept making a show called Versailles because um, it was only three seasons and then it ended and I wanted so much more of it because it was phenomenal. I just keep (laughs) rewatching Fleabag, Catastrophe, and Younger. I (laughs) rewatch Peaky Blinders a lot because I'm obsessed with it. Favorite movie right now? Again, like picking a favorite child. That's, That's almost an impossible... Okay, favorite Again, same issue. Well, probably Scream. I would say that Scream is probably up there. Like Scream, Clueless. God, I mean, Reality Bites is high up there for me because it was the first CD I ever bought was that mm. soundtrack. Yeah. Um, 10 Things I Hate About You is just like chef's kiss. Romeo and Juliet, my God, that's like the crown jewel. Yeah, that's yeah. an impossible question. <laughs> okay. Who's your Tracy dream podcast guest? Tracy Ellis Ross. Who's that? Is she the star of, oh, what is that movie that I love so much? She's the star of Blackish. She, she Black-ish, is the daughter correct? of Diana Ross. She is. That's great. Okay. I know who that is. Singlehood Glory. She's phenomenal. Glorious. What was the movie that she was just in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where she played a singer and she was just the diva extraordinary. I can't remember the name of it, but you're right. That movie. That was fantastic. Favorite place oh, to walk? God, anywhere that's not Brooklyn. I'm so sick of these walks. I need. it's so funny how from montreal i have romanticized your experience because you're in brooklyn and i just picture you kind of like grabbing a nice coffee and going for a walk but it's so true you must be so sick to death of your walks the same way that you know i've just kind of turned it off and i have to listen to podcasts because i can't there's there's no it's terrible the walks are nice but when you do them 300 times in a row it's like enough already favorite restaurant to order I don't actually right order now. from restaurants because I find it to be a massively disappointing experience um but my favorite restaurant in my neighborhood is called Hearts and they turned into almost immediately they turned into a grocery store and they started selling like to-go versions of some of their famous uh either famous dishes or like components of their famous dishes so that you can like take stuff and make it at home like they sell like a completely ready to roast version of their chicken and like all kinds of convenient stuff and like having Yum. that I have found is really nice like buying like upscale like pantry staples and kitchen staples from a restaurant that I used to go to for like special occasions and stuff that has been that has been a comfort for sure last question what is your favorite date night oh with yourself that's such a good question I mean I'm, I'm pretty big <laughs> I like to turn it into a weekend I like to go to a hotel and I have a little dance party and I take a bath and, you know, sometimes I watch TV. Sometimes I just stare at a candle and just listen to music and just That's really a really good one. I would, I would agree with you. I think on New Year's Eve of this year, I went to the TWA hotel at JFK and it is that place is my place. That is my absolute favorite place to be in the world. If it can't be Paris, it should be the TWA hotel at JFK. That was probably my best like date that I ever took myself on. And like half the thing was closed because of the pandemic. So I was mostly in my room the whole time, but it was, it's just gorgeous. It's this whole like sixties vibe and it doesn't feel fake. It feels like you're really traveling back in time, which I love. So yeah, something like that. Amazing. 
Well, thank you so much. And thank you for everything that you do. I'll be reading. That and makes listening. me so happy. So <laughs> keep it up. Just for the record, the movie is called The High Note. That's the name of the movie we were both looking for. It's really great. So I hope you watch it. I hope you were inspired by this guest. I think she shows that writing can be a superpower. Your creativity can be a superpower, not just for yourself, but for other people. If you make your art with intention and with thoughtfulness and with honesty. So I'm just so grateful she was here and I hope you got a lot out of it. I'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks and we'll talk soon.